Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Namihi nui and welcome to Our Changing World from RNZ National. We're all familiar with mushrooms and toadstools with their distinctive open umbrella shape. You might also know the lumpy, potato-like edible truffle, which grows underground. But did you know about pouch fungi or truffle-like fungi? To find out what they are and why they're of interest to molecular botanists and geneticists, Alison joins in on a Dunedin fungi hunt with the University of Otago's Chris Brown, Tina Summerfield and David Olovich. What we're looking for is a little blue fungus. It's about the size of a, a small mushroom, maybe two inches, five centimetres long, and it's blue on the top, very pale blue, and it's got a little yellow stalk. So that's what we're looking for. And the secret with this one is the cap doesn't open properly like a mushroom. It stays closed. It's what we call a truffle-like fungus, and it isn't really a truffle, but one of the things about truffles is that they are enclosed and they don't release their spores to be blown away in the wind. The fungus we're looking for today is not a, a real truffle, but because it also doesn't release its spores, we call it a truffle-like fungus. This particular one um, grows on rotten wood and on the ground, and so it should be able to be cultured in a petri dish. And if we can get it into culture, then that allows us to manipulate it and to just to, to grow it and to try and get it to fruit in the lab. And that just makes it a lot easier to study, basically, rather than having to come out, as, as nice as it is, as having to come out here and collect it every time we want to we get it. It's very confusing with all the fuchsia flowers, I have to yes, say. Yes, it is. That's <laughs> right. And all the different coloured leaves and uh, all sorts of things can really trick you. But you have seen this particular one here before? I have, yes. But it was a while ago. And it's summer now, and I saw it in the autumn where most fungi come out. So we may be pushing our luck to find it, but it's been, it's been nice weather. We've had a bit of rain, so I think we, we need to be patient and uh, cross our fingers and we might get it. So what have you got there, David? It's well, not what we're looking for. No, it's not what we're looking for. This is a, uh, a little mushroom called Hyphaloma. It was growing on the underside of a bit of rotten wood. And uh, it's got a, a browny colour with maybe a slight tinge of olive green in there. So what defines a mushroom? Is it just something that basically has the shape that we think of as a mushroom? Yes. And I've got to say, I tend to use the words mushrooms and toadstools interchangeably. So this is a mushroom-shaped fruit body. It's the sexual reproductive part of a fungus. So most of the, the body of the fungus is growing inside this wood and uh, when this fungus wants to reproduce, it uh, produces a little mushroom and it's just like a little umbrella and really the umbrella protects the spores from rain and the spores are produced on the gills on the underside there. This one's actually quite closely related to the truffle-like fungus that we're looking for. 
The truffle-like fungi are not all related to each other so closely, so they've evolved independently in evolutionary time. So most of the truffle-like fungi, especially including the one we're looking for today, has an ancestor that was probably a mushroom rather than another truffle-like fungus. It's quite exciting to think that all around the world these truffle-like fungi are evolving independently to, to look similar to each other, even though they all have different close relatives, most of which are mushrooms. So our goal is to compare all of these pairs of truffle-like fungi and their mushroom relative to see whether we can see if there's any common uh, genomic changes or any, any, uh, any genetic uh, differences that, that they all have in common so we can look to see whether they're a similar mechanisms that are allowing these things to evolve. So, so our initial project with one pair in New Zealand, one Cortinarius pair, we've got some draft sequence from that and that's looking interesting but now we've gone to um, a consortium with uh, Australians and people from the United States and Europe and we've got funding from an uh, American organisation, the Joint Genome Institute, who are trying to sequence 1,000 fungal genomes and they've funded 800,000 US dollars worth of sequencing and they'll, they'll do some analysis of the genomes and then they'll give it back to us to look at 12 different peers and we'll look for, for commonalities in this evolutionary process. So do you know what this one's partner is, what its peer is? Yes, I, I think it's probably a species of hyphaloma. Some of them have close partners and others are a little bit more distant in evolutionary time. And this particular one is a little bit distant. I think this has been a truffle for longer than some of the others. So we've actually got a few candidates that are pretty closely related, probably all fairly similarly related, actually. So, so hyphaloma is one of our choices, and another one called Strafaria is a second choice. And uh, really it'll be up to, probably up to what we can find and what we can get into culture may determine which one we end up going for there. So what's your role in the project, Tina? Helping with the sample collection and I've been interested in gene expression and so although I haven't really worked on fungi before. So you've worked on cyanobacteria Cyanobacteria and cyanobacterial gene expression so it's really coming from that that side of things helping with the, the sample preparation hopefully helping with the data analysis. So one of the things we've got is this a uh, lot of transcriptome data and it's really thinking about pathways that might be changed and trying to make sense. You see a lot of gene expression changes between the different species and also within two different tissue types but trying to sort of link that back to how that might relate to the morphological and functional changes. Yes I think in the data analysis that's the hard thing really. So we've got draft genomes from one pair and we've got transcriptomes that what genes are being expressed in different parts of them but then taking that to working out what the key differences are requires quite a lot of interpretation of that data and we can see differences in expression, we can see difference in numbers of genes, you know, different types of genes between the two of them, but then assigning function to that is quite a difficult thing to do. And a lot of the gene families that we see differences in have no similarities or significant similarities in the database, so there's something completely new, <laughs> which is interesting, but it's going to require, um, I think, putting it into some system that we can actually do experiments to actually see what they're doing. A big French consortium sequenced the, the black truffle and what they found... Which is in the, the edible truffle, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, that's the edible truffle that's, that's worth quite a lot of money per truffle. So they found that although the genome was quite large for a fungi, um, it actually had many fewer functional genes than most fungi have. So they only found 7,500 genes, right? And that sort of pushed it into that ecological niche 
You know, it can't break down carbohydrates on its own. It needs to be symbiotic with the plant. And that's probably one of the processes I think we'll be seeing in the, in the evolution to the truffle-like mode of growth. They've specialised so that they, you know, they'll have less genes. Um, perhaps some genes will be turned off, some genes will be non-functional, even if we can see them. So you said the black truffle has quite a big genome for fungi, but only a smallish proportion of it's actually functional. What's the rest of it? It's retrotransposons, it's um, repetitive DNA that have moved in the past, right? and when they've moved, they've moved into functional genes and destroyed them. So most eukaryotic genomes, to a, to a greater or a lesser extent, have a lot of this repetitive non-core DNA. So the human genome, for instance, has about 40% of this repetitive DNA, and it's got to be prevented from moving around um, and, and damaging um, functional genes. And there's lots of mechanisms that, that cells have to do that. In the truffle, they think about one and a half million years ago, there was a sudden burst that the, the, the retrotransposons escaped, destroyed lots of genes, and then it was forced into that niche. So it's, it's quite a long time frame that we'll be talking about. How many species of fungi do we have in New Zealand, well, people more or less? Are, yeah, more or less, uh, maybe um, 25,000 or so is an estimate, but only about a quarter of those have names, maybe a third have names. So out of those 25,000 or so species, how many species of truffle-like fungi do we have? Oh, that's a good question. I haven't exactly counted them. I would say in New Zealand we might be talking about 20 or 30 species, something like that. The best-known truffle-like fungi uh, is called Cortinarius porphyroideus, and it's a purple pouch fungus, which has been on a New Zealand stamp, I think, uh, several years ago. I think it's on the note that's got the kōkaka on no, it, I that's, No, that's Entoloma that, hoxteri. Oh, okay. That's another, a different that's a one. beautiful blue mushroom. No, the purple uh, pouch fungus is a little bit bigger than that one on the $50 note, and, and it is a pouch fungus, so the cap doesn't open like a mushroom. But we've, we've been collecting those around the country, and uh, looking at their genetic diversity and we were stunned to find that that's actually not just one species but three at least and those three species even though they're very hard to tell apart from each other they're not each other's closest relatives so that purple thing has evolved here three times yeah even the common ones the ones that are pretty rec easily recognized um, we know that there's hidden genetic diversity there and that really does start to make you think about what is driving that process you know these genomic disruptions might be happening all the time all over the world really but it's only in certain places where they will make an, an organism that is still capable of dispersing its spores so Ross Bieber from Landcare Research suggested that in New Zealand it may be grazing birds that drove the selective uh, processes for these mushrooms so birds are attracted to brightly coloured fruits red fruits that fall off the trees onto the ground and, it, and his suggestion was that these fungi are basically mimicking those fruits and uh, so we see colours of truffle-like fungi that are reds and purples and uh, in other countries what we find is that like in Australia for example many of the truffle-like fungi are not brightly coloured at all and they don't tend to grow on the, in the leaf litter they tend to be buried right under the ground and in Australia the, the main dispersers of those fungi are burrowing mammals, little marsupials and things like that. So they, they have a good sense of smell, so those truffles will smell, they can dig them up and they'll 
eat them and disperse them that way. In New Zealand, we, the country didn't evolve with any grazing mammals like that, and that seems to coincide with the fact that we don't have any subterranean truffle-like fungi, and many of them are just sitting on the surface of the leaf litter or just under the leaf litter where a bird Going might eat scratch me. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. There are subtle differences between them as well. So some of the truffle-like fungi like the real truffles, don't have a stalk at all. They're just a round ball, basically. Others do have a stalk that can be quite high, you know, five, ten centimetres high. The other thing is one of the new species we're just looking at at the moment, I think it is truffle-like because the cap doesn't open properly, but when you cut the cap open, you can see very distinctive gills inside um, rather than the, a spongy mass of gill tissue that the real, the, the more committed truffle-like fungi have. So, so that tells me that this is probably just part way down the track to, be, to being truffle-like. But you're hoping that by looking at the genes you'll be able to begin to understand which genes are perhaps, in a sense, responsible for the truffleness of a truffle-like fungi. Yeah, and I guess the secret is there is with the pairs of species, because even though we've got different truffle-like fungi everywhere, they've all got a close mushroom relative, and hopefully, even though there may be lots of differences between one pair and another, the few differences they have in common might be the, the truffleness differences, if you can use that term. So one of the things that I found interesting about this project working on fungi is that we all teach into the genetics program in, at Otago and we got students involved in these projects as part of their third year projects. And, you know, one of the things they could find is they could find totally new species of fungi. We had some of them looking at the differences for the genomes of the, of the pair that we've looked at. And, you know, it's, it's amazing how many new things you can find because just nobody's ever looked at these things before. And that was geneticist Chris Brown from the University of Otago's Department of Biochemistry. And you also heard from Tina Summerfield and David Orlovich, who are both in the Botany Department at the University of Otago. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.